As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable, the most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital. Welcome to Anything is Potable! Boston Celtics Podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, joined as always by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from the Athletic, El Nino himself, rocking a sleeveless tank, coming here today on August 31st, the I guess the last day of summer. And Jay King, you had a topic you wanted to talk about. You had you wanted to break it all down, talking about Joe Jitsu, the Celtics head coach, because president of basketball operations went on the radio this week and said something interesting. I don't even know what it is. I stopped you from explaining it to me, so I'm going to be hearing it live first here. And it wasn't even that interesting, honestly. Uh, (laughs) Way to undercut undercut the entire segment. I think it was the Jones and Mego show on WEI. And he said basically that Joe never got to coach the Celtics the way he wanted to last season. And Brad brought up the that the double big lineup and said basically Joe wanted to play the double big lineup. But Robert Williams was hurt when he came back. Both he and Al Horford were on minutes restrictions, sitting out back-to-backs, whatever. So it got me thinking, how much is Joe going to change? Because last year, for a number of reasons, he was not able to put probably the imprint that he wanted on that team. Because, one, you can't make huge changes coming off of final birth when you take over days before training camp. You just can't because nobody's going to respect you because they made it to the finals the previous season. They they know they have success with the way they were doing things. They're not going to want you to change things. And, two, he just didn't have time to – make a vision for what he wanted for them uh, because he took over so close to training camp because, you know, the Robert Williams injury kind of sent things into disarray before it even began. So I just want to talk about what you expect from Joe in season two. If you expect a lot different, if you expect minimal difference, like what is your expectation for the second season of Joe Missoula? 
Well, first, I don't even know if I buy that he was like Joe Missoula was dying to play the double big lineup. Like everything I've heard about Joe Missoula is like this. The game plan goal number one was like, we're going to shoot 40 to 53s in this game. And like the double big lineup doesn't seem like it's entirely conducive to that. And so I agree in a sense that like, obviously, when you come in in the circumstances in which he came in, you can't like implement kind of these crazy changes or have as much of an impact. And then during the season, it's really hard to implement changes. Like you, you're playing so many games, you're doing so much travel that like, if you're going to make a change, you're kind of like emphasizing one to two, like things at a time, just because it's, it's incredibly hard for players to kind of like, grasp or implement giant changes i've talked to uh the greatest offensive uh, assistant coach in the league nick freeman about this just like for, on a game-to-game basis like you need to focus like give the players one to two things they can do maybe in that next game to emphasize because they're, they're just not able to kind of do these kind of widespread changes and so the question to me is like how important is a training camp and I think we're going to see a different Joe Missoula. I don't know necessarily what to expect and how much to attribute it to like changes he's done. But I do think they've wildly changed his coaching staff and the people around him. And so I think just from the bringing in Sam Cassell, bringing in that other guy whose name I'm forgetting right now, but everyone seems to like what's Charles, Lee. Charles Lee. How could I forget Charles Lee? Strong name. Um, I think it's going to be a, a kind of a, a just a different approach with just so much more experience on the bench than they had last year. And I think Missoula coming in, he went to an Eastern Conference Finals. Like, he's not coming in as, like, I have to... I mean, he still has to prove himself, but he's went from being a basically a behind-the-bench guy with no... With not Like, he had no authority and no gravitas to be able to change really anything that they had done the year before. Uh, and now I'm just coming in with confidence. I don't know if it's going to be, like, change wildly, like, what they're, what they're doing. I just expect a more confident Joe Missoula and kind of a, just a stronger coaching staff in general, just because of the kind of the experience of the guys they brought in. And I think last, last season he had to kind of start off on the defensive, right? Instead of just focusing on building the Celtics into the best team he could, he had to be like, Oh shit. <laughs> I've got to make sure that all these assistants who are loyal to Ime Udoka are on the same page with me. I've got to make sure that the players respect me after I came from behind the bench to now I'm a head coach. Like there are a lot of factors that he had to deal with that he just won't anymore. And I think that's going to be a plus. And then the other part of it, one thing he said, Joe said at the Kristaps Porzingis introduction press conference, like last month was that, I don't know about a month ago, he said, even like the culture wasn't what he wanted it to be and he said that last year it was a lot focused on they made the finals the previous year they were coming back trying to avenge that basically and I don't think that's the way he works I think he's more of a process-oriented guy like Brad Stevens who wants to talk about incremental growth and but Ime had set the tone literally the day they lost Ime set the tone like, this is what happened. We lost the finals. We're going to come back from that, and we're going to be better from that. And it's going to be all about that loss. And so you can't change. Like, it's hard to change that when you take over right before training camp after the messaging for months 
has been let's come back from this finals. And so I think even from a culture standpoint, like the focuses weren't always what he wanted it to be. Obviously, like the the Sandcastle stuff, that was him, the whatever else. But like I think that there was some messaging that he would have changed if he'd been in control the whole time rather than taking over right before the season. I don't know how much that stuff ultimately matters, but I think that can matter. And I think stuff like that can can be a big deal. Yeah, it's like I don't think a training camp necessarily like you can identify it and being like, this is a huge change in terms of changing the culture. But I do think just like the stability of like this entire offseason, everyone knows that Joe Missoula is going to be the head coach. Uh, like he's probably been in communication with all the players. Like there's just a, a inherent stability there that it's kind of insane that they were able to have as much success as they did last year coming into the situation that they did with Missoula, just like being named the coach at media day, like that should be disruptive and kind of dismantling. And they presumably because of all the, you know, talent of the players on the court, were kind of just able to take it in stride. And they came out and had the best offensive league. And a lot of it was, they were just shooting the hell out of the basketball. But I do think there's going to be something to said for just like the stability of like, we all are on the same page here. We have these new assistants coach. We have like much more of a coaching infrastructure now than we did last season and as i think that's going to be beneficial it's also like how are you going to disentangle changes in kind of the approach from like is it like is it missoula being more confident in his job is it the assistance or is the change in approach is like oh we just don't have marcus smart anymore and now we have a giant latvian guy like it's like the the x's and o's are obviously going to change just because of personnel and so it's like how do you how do you disentangle what's a personnel change what's just like dictated by the players or what's like a philosophy change or the approach change for missoula yeah and and i do think he's gonna be probably not more experiment i I think he's gonna try some more tweaks like the zone defense he played in the summer league i expect them to play more zone in the season i think the like their entire style is going to shift because of adding Chris Saps Porzingis. They played small a lot last year. Obviously, they were switching. Their like their perimeter defense was probably their strong point most of the time. And now I think it's going to be the interior defense. I think with Porzingis, with Horford, with Robert Williams, that's what you build your defense around. It's not going to be about the strength of your perimeter guys anymore. When you're, when you're building the foundation, obviously you still have Tatum, Brown, Derek White. There's a lot of defensive talent in that starting lineup, though it kind of dries up a little bit on the bench. I don't think their bench is like the greatest defensive group anymore. Um, but like how much does he change to take advantage of that? I, I, I do think it's possible they kind of look like the Bucks defensively where they funnel stuff toward – the bigs and just take advantage of in Milwaukee, it's Giannis, but in Boston, it'll be either Robert Williams or Chris Asporzing. It's just lurking off somebody and trying to block shots. And, and obviously that's kind of what they did when they had the double big lineup, when it was Rob Williams lurking off, but, but Chris Asporzing is when he was used in double big lineups last year, he was that lurker. He wasn't the guy guarding bigs. Like he was guarding the wor- the least threatening perimeter player and trying to help and block shots. So I think they're going to have to change their defense. And I think 
that it could be a good thing. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. It's just they're going to be different. So I, I'm really interested to see like what how Joe changes things. And like you said, some of it's going to be just due to stylistically they're different now. They traded a point guard defensive player of the year for a seven foot three sharpshooter. And that's a huge change. It's going to change basically everything. Um, but at the end of the day, I do think Joe, on top of that, is just going to make his own mark. And I think he's going to learn some things from last. Like, I think there's a lot from last year that he's going to take away and change. Um, even like the way he's dealt with the media after the <laughs> season has been. And maybe it's just because he's not like in the middle of a, of a fight anymore in, in his eyes, a fight like the competition, but during the offs, like at the Jalen Brown press conference, he just walked over to a group of us. and was like, you guys want to talk? Yeah, let's let's do it. Sup, <laughs> <Some> fellas? <laughs> How you been? <laughs> like, yeah, wait, you want to do an interview with us, and you're willing to sit here and answer our questions, and you're actually going to answer them? Cool, man. Appreciate you. That's going to be kind of sad. I'm going to miss uh, defensive Joe after. I, a I don't game. think it's, I don't think it's going away entirely, but I do think he made things difficult on himself. In not not like just in the land of public perception, it, it was even like the inside the NBA guys went after him sometimes like he just made things far more difficult than he needed to at times with the media on top of, you know, the, the actual coaching stuff, which matters far, 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 far more than whether he's nice to us all the time. <laughs> Cause he is nice. Otherwise I hope he keeps his edge. I mean, he's always, it he was always nice. I feel like he would be like immediately defensive in the press conference and then the press conference would end. And then he'd go up to the meteor guy after being like, give him the real answer, which is a, uh, a classy vet move. But you were talking about the defense and it brought up two, two things in my head. I think running like looking like the bucks defense and forcing things to the interior is like actually fits in with like what I like consider to be Missoula's general, like, very basic idea, which is like we need to shoot more threes than the other team and make more threes in their team. And so if the Celtics are just absolutely running guys off the line, it's like you are not going to take any three-point shots against the Celtics. We are going to force you to get to the rim or to pull up in the mid-range. I actually think that directly aligns with kind of Missoula's overall philosophy. And I think as much as we're talking about changes and everything like that, Missoula ball offense isn't going anywhere. They might run two bigs, but they're still going to be chucking threes. Like he... Is a believer I mean, for, for smart, you just got a, a better shooter. Hauser's a better shooter than Grant Williams, who left, and he'll probably take a lot of those minutes. Peyton Pritchard, whoever's minutes he's taking, he's a probably a better shooter. Like they might be a they might launch even more threes than I, they did. I think they're gonna launch more threes and they're really gonna defend the three-point line and try to force you to the rim to beat them at the rim. And then you brought up that like Porzingis. And when he's in the double big lineups, he's been he was the lurker. He was the kind of the the off ball guy or off big guy. And it still brings up the I think the biggest question to me is like, can a Robert Williams and Chris Tapps Porzingis lineup work together? Because they're obviously different players on offense. And they, like I think the spacing can work. But defensively, like, is that enough? they're both very tall but like is that enough bulk is that enough like size to be a deterrent to like guard those bigger people because i don't think you can rely on al horford to play 
30 minutes a game for over 65 games and like how effective I think the Chris Tapps uh, Time Lord lineup is going to be. I think it's going to go a long way just because with the depth with losing Grant Williams is another guy who you like uh, is going to defend centers. Obviously, Robert Williams and Chris Tapps Porzingis can do that, but I think they're both better at being that lurker or defending the smaller guys and like kind of using their length that way. They're not the bulkiest guys. So how those two work together, I still haven't like fully processed, like if that's a functional lineup for them. I think it's going to be a very functional lineup. I, I do agree with you though, that the ability to guard like the biggest, bulkiest, best big men could be a problem. We've seen Robert Williams get into foul trouble a lot. Although he did an okay job, I thought, against Joel Embiid during parts of the Philly series. He wasn't asked to guard him a ton, but I thought when he did, it was probably the best he's looked in that particular matchup. That's it probably just like later guys, in games when Joel Embiid was exhausted, but go on. <laughs> that said, how many guys are we actually talking about in this car? It's Joel Embiid, it's Jokic, and Jokic is just as much about the pass and getting other guys involved as he is about scoring himself. And he's probably going to score on anyone in the world. So really, what does it matter? Um, and then I just think Al Horford will probably just be a bigger part of the game plan against those specific guys and at what point does al horford stop being amazing at basketball like at some point he has to like break down i know we just like he completely turned into like i only sh- what was his three-point rate like last year 75 percent like he was not interior was, basketball I mean, player. Never got free throws like there were obvious marks that he's starting to to lose some of his athleticism but that said like the guy was awesome defensively. The guy shot 45% from the arc. He was very, very good. And they're going to need him to be because I don't think you're going to get like 70 games out of Chris Esprazingas. I don't think you're going to get 70 games out of Robert Williams. Maybe you do and you get fortunate and both those guys stay healthy. But I think, you know, more likely it's going to be like 60 games each for all three of those guys, including Horford. Who is the captain of the defense now that smart is gone because i feel like you would see smart he was like one of the most vocal again you're still like like i and he might come off the bench i don't know if he's i don't know if he's gonna start i love al horford i have a shirt that expresses that exact sentiment um i would say he's good i think they're putting a lot on al horford going into this season at some point doesn't the kind of the lead defensive player need to be Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown? Like, like at what point does the Marcus Smart leadership vacuum need to be like those two guys kind of like taking the more vocal role? Because like if Al Horford's on the bench, he can't be the guy on the court adjusting and like making plays. And to bring up a clip, you like retweeted uh, from Rajon Rondo on JJ Reddick's podcast, which was fascinating stuff. Rondo talking about trying to out coach the play, like the teams he would go against. So he wasn't going up against other teams, point guards. He was going up against Brad Stevens. I think if I obviously I don't think anyone's necessarily on Rondo's level, because I think Rondo is one of the best like people to do that in terms of like calling out plays and knowing what's going on. But Marcus Smart was the closest that I think the Celtics had to someone who was like understanding where the plays are, communicating with everyone like physically putting people in ATOs, like in position, who is going to be that person to step up 
I think, yes, my natural inclination would be Al Horford, but I think like you would, wouldn't you rather be like Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown, who is going to be trying to out coach uh, Eric Spolstra in a playoff game or in a playoff series uh, on this Celtics team. And if you watched any possession, <laughs> it was one guy, I was going to write a story. I never ended up writing a story, but if you watch Marcus Smart, he's pointing like the whole time he's on defense. He's just pointing, like telling guys where to go, directing them where they need to be. It's just constant pointing. And and that impact will be one of the ways they feel his departure. Um, yeah, I, I think some of it's going to come from Horford. Like you said, like it's going to have to be Tatum and Brown. It, it has to be because – Marcus Smart was that guy, and he was the one who was prepared for all that stuff. He was the one who taught his teammates all that stuff. He was the one directing people where to go, and you know, it could also be Joe Missoula. <laughs> the coach could actually do the coaching, <laughs> which I think is is something that you need to have happen. Um, but yeah, I, I I think that's one of the questions for this team. Do you have enough of that anymore? And especially because I do think it's possible that Al comes off the bench because I do think it's possible that Porzingis and Rob is just a very good duo. And I know you brought up the questions and I think those are valid in like a couple of specific matchups. But I also think the shot blocking with that duo just has a chance to be overwhelming. And I think you can build a foundation for a defense on that shot blocking. And so I, I just think that's potentially a duo that they're going to want to start and rely on heavily. I don't know. Maybe Al will still start. Maybe he'll still play more minutes than Rob. Maybe that's how it'll go. But I just think with Rob being healthier, with him having a a much better offseason than he did one year ago, that I think it's possible that he comes back and kind of reclaims that starting role. So we'll see. But – yeah, there there are real questions about this team in a way that there just weren't last. Even though the EMA stuff happened, and obviously that threw everything in disarray, that was the question, right? Like, can they overcome the coaching weirdness that's going on? And this year, it's like, well, does Chris Stapps fit offensively? Because he's he's a scorer, right? He's a scorer, and. Like you took Marcus Smart, who wanted to set guys up, who wanted to organize everything, and turn him into Chris Asporzingis, who is score first, another score first guy next to Tatum and Brown. So I think there's possibility that that kind of is tough for them to to figure out right away, and like like it's it's been clear the last couple years that Tatum and Brown or the Celtics as a team are better when they've had like ball movers and quick decision makers like Derek White, Marcus Smart, um, Al Horford. Like when those guys play with Tatum and Brown, it accentuates them very well because they fill in the gaps for what those two guys don't do best. And and Porzingis kind of gives them more of what those two guys do best. So it's going to be an, an interesting fit there. I'm really, really curious to see how it all works out, honestly. I think there's a chance that they're better but I also think there's a chance that it's not as cohesive as it was the past couple of years. I think, yeah, especially to start early on with the just integrating a new piece, like 
Marcus, Jalen, and Jason had six, seven years of playing together, and they're certainly just like knew what each other doing. I think we saw the chemistry with just the kind of um, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, two-man game that kind of was just like the go-to when things broke down. I think a lot of that playmaking probably falls now onto Derek White um, just being that main guy, that kind of connective piece, the guy who can the ball swings to and he can make a decision and do some playmaking and maybe him getting more involved in the pick and roll. I think we'll see the ball in Tatum's hands a lot more. I think that's just an interesting thing of like where the starting lineup is. Who's who's um, who's taking the ball up the court? Like who's initiating the offense? Is it is Derek White now the official like starting point guard or is it just like kind of an amorphous? We have three guys who can kind of handle the ball. We'll see how much Jalen Brown has improved his uh, dribbling, but like, is it like a standard like we're going to start with just Derek White all the time, or is it Tatum's hands? It's I think it's like on the court questions. It's not something we've like had for a, a while with these Celtics, but I think there's like how much of a role Derek White plays in the offense. I think is another big one. Yeah, so I I think it's going to be similar to what it was with Smart. Jason Tatum is just going to handle the ball a lot because he's a star because he makes good decisions too. That's just how it's going to be. But I do think Derek White will have the ball in his hands more. I think he'll probably run some more pick and rolls. I think, and I think that'll probably be a good thing. Like he he's good in that role, and he didn't get to do it a lot. Whenever they unleashed him, he sort of reached another level, um, scoring wise, passing wise. But they just didn't give him opportunities in that very often. And then Brogdon will handle some of it. I, I don't think it'll be one person, but I, I don't anticipate that being a huge change. And and partly because when it matters, Tatum basically runs the offense a lot of the time anyway. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I think the most dangerous, but the potentially the most dangerous play they have in their bag is the Tatum Porzingis pick and roll. Because if Tate, if Porzingis can draw out a big defender, like his ability to pop, I don't have no idea what Porzingis's numbers are as like as a role man, but I just think of like the most dynamic offenses the Celtics had was like Isaiah and Al Horford with like Horford with that pop ability. Like he didn't pop every single time. Like Al Horford still went in and like was a more of a dynamic offensive player, but they haven't had like kind of 
the, the dynamic size where you just can't really switch whoever's guarding Chris Tapps onto Tatum or a smaller guy onto Porzingis. Um, we've talked a lot, like some about Porzingis, like being able to punish those smaller guys in the post. And so having those two guys, I think will be a, a interesting dynamic. Also, as I'm thinking about it right now, I, I feel like we're going to see a lot more development or a lot more like maybe it's experimentation or, and, and maybe it was just like uh, trying to figure out what they're doing, but the like, I would expect them to get way better as the season progresses. And so I wouldn't be too surprised if like the first 20 games of the season next year just don't look great because they're still really getting used to playing with each other, being in the right spots, trying to like making the reads and, and knowing where the other guy is going to be. And so I think there might be some just natural growing pains of like figuring out how to implement this new seven, three guy into the lineup where you wouldn't anticipate that from the team last year. Again, one of the, one of the reasons, like Pat Pat Beverly said recently, like Tatum and Brown are too similar to work together and win a championship together. And I think obviously that's kind of a, a dumb talking point. They've reached the finals. They get to the conference finals almost every year. They clearly work well together. But one reason, one way they, they don't and that their talent's kind of do overlap in a way that's troubling or problematic is that every action that they have, you can just switch because the two guys guarding them are just going to be able to do it. And I do think Chris Stapps allows them to change that. Like he's someone you really want in an action because of how well he can score, because of how well he can shoot. And if, if a bigger guy is guarding him, if you get that guy on Tatum and Brown, then it might be a mismatch or he can kill a smaller guy in the post. So I I think Chris Stapps theoretically does solve some of that. And you can put all three of them into actions and, and it's going to be really tough for teams to handle. And then the other part that I think is going to put teams in a real bind, it's just the sheer size of those guys. Like if Chris Stapps Porzingis is your four and Tatum is your three and Brown is your two. There are not a lot of teams in the league who have guys big enough to guard all three of those guys. Like you're going to need some serious wing defense to keep up with those guys because they can all take advantage of smaller guys. Tatum has gotten really, really good at just driving smaller guys and taking advantage and using his size. Jalen's always been able to do that. Chris Stapps just shoots over the top of smaller guys and is a real problem when you don't put size on him anymore. It's not like the old days when Marcus Mark could guard him and force him into nonsense. And so I just think the sheer size and scoring ability of those three is going to be so tough because like you think back to when the Celtics had Tatum, Brown, and Gordon Hayward. And when Gordon Hayward was was like still very good and very oh i remember that a, that four months <laughs> but but when when he was right when hayward was right it was so hard for teams to guard those three just because they were bigger they could score and so few teams have three guards who have three wings who can guard six seven six eight guys who can score and now one of those six seven six eight guys is seven foot three and so it's like, I think that has a chance to just really, really give teams trouble. The more I think about it and the more I watch tape of what Chris Stapps 
can do to smaller guys and the way he can drive them, the way he can shoot over the top of them, the way he gives them trouble. It's like, what are teams going to do? I I don't know. And if the Celtics figure all that stuff out and are able to maximize that, I think that's going to be really, really, really tough for, for teams, especially the smaller teams. And, and you could even put like Miami into that group of, of teams with smaller guards they were able to disrupt the Celtics this past year. They were able to get up into them and have their small guards like be really physical and force turnovers. But what happens when the Celtics like take away that physicality and just dump it down to Chris Stapps? So that's that's one way that things could work out for Boston. All right, now it's time for the 14th man on the roster update. We talked a lot about bringing guys in for a potential workout. Jay, it's been a week. Any updates on the 14th man? Is it Lamar Stevens? Is it TJ Warren? Is it Louis King? Is it a potential unknown fourth guy? What's going on the 14th man on the roster that people are dying to know? Brad Stevens has been very patient with this these final roster spots. Um, and I don't know. I honestly don't know which way they're going to go. I do know that they want a wing, another guy who can be trusted to play minutes and just not torpedo the Celtics when he's on the court. So is that guy out there? I don't know. Could it be Lamar Stevens? I think so. Could it be TJ Warren? I think so. But really, I I don't know who it's going to be. And honestly, like that person will only matter if the Celtics are hurt or shorthanded. But I think that person could matter during the regular season. Like there could be a number of games when you have to rely on that guy in a sort of Blake Griffin type of way where just to soak up minutes, to be okay, and to not screw things up. And that's the type of player that they need, I think, to just give them regular season minutes to keep everything functioning when he's on the court. And that's that's tough to to be that guy and also be okay with, playing that smaller role. So it's not the easiest type of player to find. Speaking of Blake Griffin, Brad in that same WEEI interview referenced earlier said that he loved everything Blake gave them on and off the court. And so, you know, you would have to expect Blake Griffin to return just in my, in my eyes with quotes like that, Brad's basically begging for the return of Blake, but, uh, they have two roster spots. They can bring in Louis King and Blake Griffin and complete it. But all right, we're going to finish out today's podcast with just the dumbest gimmick of all time that Jay has already participated in um, drafting. Was it five guys for each side based on this current Celtics roster? We draft, I think it was seven rounds. Well, seven rounds. Yeah, we're only doing five because. Uh, we don't have that much time left in the Zoom that I should probably we should probably just get a stream yard. So we're not uh, capped at 45, 40 minutes of podcast, but maybe we'll start that uh, in the season. But we can share clips too. Let's get a stream yard. All right. I'll talk to Schlecht about it. Um, let's do it. Let's draft the Celtics roster. My five against your five. Do you want the first pick or the second pick? Or let's just do it this way. Do you want to be team Jason Tatum or team Jalen Brown? You can, get, you can get Tatum. I'll give you Tatum. All right, I'll give you Brown, and then you can get the first pick from there. Yeah, Jalen Brown and Derek White. And 
obviously Porzingis is he was in, inside my decision. I just I I have to go with the guy who played 82 games last year, who's dependable and who I know fits next to all of the Celtics' best players. Derek White was awesome last year, defensively, offensively, everything. The Celtics just functioned better with him on the court. I know that about him. I know I could I can trust he's going to be in the lineup every night, be able to handle a lot of minutes. So Derek White, I pick over Porzingis here. Am I wrong? Very possibly. Um, but and also <laughs> it leaves you with Tatum and Porzingis, which feels like just a devastating blow to me. But that's all right. I will be taking Porzingis. Is this a snake draft? Or you just go? Are you? So the we did the first round was snake, and then the second round is alternate. So now you have Porzingis, and I go. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um. So now I'm I'm getting the first pick of round three now. Um, Who would I go with? I feel like there's an obvious answer. So now it's it's either Al or Robert Williams, right? And I don't think that's obvious. I pick. I'm going with Rob, just because I think some indicators on Horford. Obviously, he had a great season. He was awesome. He was better than Rob. He was more dependable than Rob. I think there are some indicators that suggest he's beginning to slip. And I think Rob's had a healthy offseason. I think he he could be closer to the guy he was two seasons ago rather than last season. And I think also I'm petrified of you having Rob and Chris Stapps because I just think all that shot blocking would just ruin me. Yeah, that's why I wanted that snake draft. So I'm going to go with Al Horford. Uh, for my third pick, just because it's it feels like the obvious answer. Back, is that back to you now? Yeah. So, so I in in writing when I did this with Jared uh, on the Athletic, I went with I did not go with Malcolm Brogdon here, even though he's the obvious pick, just because. Uh, yes, yeah, I'm waiting to pick Brogdon because I don't think you're going to take him because he's redundant with your roster right now. Yeah, so I w- I'm going Sam Howes. I just think Brogdon and Jalen aren't the greatest fit. I think they both kind of have blinders on when they drive a little bit. I don't want too much of that on my team. I'd rather have a lot of shooting and I mean, and more size because I'm going to have to deal with Jason Tatum. So I'm going Hauser here. See, I the obvious pick here for me is Brogdon because I need that ball handler on my roster, but I don't think you're going to pick him next round. So I'm going O'Shea Brissett. Then you, I'll go Brogdon. <laughs> all right. Then I'm going Peyton Pritchard. Uh, who, who? Right now you have Jalen Brown, Derek White. Oh, you you just, you're done. You have Jalen Brown. Five, you have Jalen Brown, Derek White, Malcolm Brogdon, Rob Williams, and Sam Hauser. I have Jason Tatum, Chris Tapps, Porzingis, Al Horford, O'Shea Brissett, and Peyton Pritchard. I think you have a more balanced roster, but mine's a uh, uh, okay. I think you won. If not, I'm going to be honest to people. I think you won. Tatum's such a huge advantage, though. Yeah, he's pretty, he's pretty years, good. He's pretty good for years. 
simply having Tatum on the court or not having him on the court has kind of dictated what the Celtics are. This past year, Derek White was kind of that way. So we'll see. I don't know. We'll but see. This was a silly It is exercise. the dumbest thing I've ever invited someone to do. But I had fun with it. It was fun. It was fun. This podcast was fun. We're running out of time. I promise you we'll get dumber with our segments moving forward. That is a jam packer guarantee. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of Anything is Potable!